in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right, you can be seated. <clears throat> it's obvious as we, as we listen to that passage that we're kind of stepping into the middle of a context. There's this and at the beginning of it that tells us it's in addition to what has been being said. For several weeks now, we've been working through this practical section <clears throat> excuse me, this practical section of Ephesians, Paul started the first half of his lecture, or first half of this letter, I'm sorry, with doctrine, with teaching. This is the gospel. This is what God's done for you. This is what God's doing in you. This is who God has made you. And he gave us doctrine. And then he turned the page or turned his perspective a little bit, just a little bit. And in light of the doctrine, this is now your duty. This is now what you're supposed to do. And see, it's interesting to me that as people become Christians, as they step into this life, they recognize that there should be a difference. But you often hear them asking questions, well, can I get away with this? Like one of the most popular questions I hear from, from young people who become Christians and who are living in a life, um, you know, that, that obviously isn't Christian. They might be living with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they say, well, do I have to move out? Can I still have sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Can I still do this? Can I get away with this is really what it comes down to. Or do I have to stop now? And, and, and the idea is, is really, what, what am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to act? Is there really supposed to be some change in my life? Is there really supposed to be an ongoing change in my life? Is there really supposed to be a certain way for me to, to just be now? Is there certain things that I should do? And Paul says, yeah, there are certain things you should do. And there are some things that you shouldn't do. And he's been giving us that. And if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, we started in this whole section of, of putting off the old and putting on the new. And, and he continues on there. He continues to say, take off the old. Take off the stuff that was with your old lifestyle and, and put on the new. He says, you've been given a new character. So you should exercise new character traits. The, mark, the, the, the character traits that mark Christianity are humility and long-suffering patience, you know, the, the merciful and things like that. The, the idea is, is that our character is different, so we should exercise those character traits. He says that we've been united with a family in Christ. So we should actually live like we belong together. That's difficult sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's difficult to be united with y'all. I love you. And I know sometimes it's difficult to be united with me. I get that. But he says we're supposed to be eagerly pursuing it, eagerly going after it. He says we've been given gifts of grace, so we should be using them. He says we've been made new and are continuing to be made new. So we should set off the old, put on the new. And, and really what he's saying when he says that is we've been made pure, so we should act like we've been made pure. And last week when we began to look at that specifically, he gave us some some very... just. Basic, very practical instructions. Some bullet points, if you will. He didn't have Microsoft Word to put it in. You know, it's not like it looked like an outline. But this is what he's doing. He's just giving us bullet points. This, this is now your life. To live the pure life you've been called to live, this is what it looks like. 
And he says, as you heard this morning, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So in addition to the commands I've given you, here's some more. And as we look at that today, we're really going to break it down into three overarching perspectives. We're going, to, we're going to break it down less into instruction and more into what I hope will be an encouragement and the motivation for you to follow these instructions. See, he's called us, Christ has called us, not Paul, Christ has called us to walk in a certain way. He's called us to walk like him, to look like him, to, to act like him. And, and that's what Paul is trying to help us see. So today, that's, that's what I think, uh, I think will be broken out as we work through this. Now in verse 30, <clears throat> I've already mentioned it. You heard it read. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit who you were, with whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Put simply, really put simply, that just means that you can hurt the Spirit. You can make Him sad. Did you realize that you can do that? Have you ever considered that the way you act might be actually hurting God. It's pretty impressive, really, if you stop and think about it. Somebody like me, just little old me, can hurt God. You know, I think that first signifies His great concern for us. I think it signifies just how much He loves us because we don't get hurt by people that we don't care about, right? I mean, if, if someone that you don't have never met and that you don't have any concern for that doesn't mean a thing to you, says something about you, it may bother you a little bit, but it doesn't grieve you. He says that we can do this. He says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and, and simply, uh, this is what I think he wants us to understand. The Holy Spirit is with you always. So strive to live like it. Hear the words of Jesus when he, when he looked at the woman caught in adultery. He said, go and sin no more. So there's a, it's a catch-all phrase. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a catch-all phrase. It kind of encompasses and, and includes everything that Paul has already been commanding. Should I, should I be angry and just blowing my anger up all over everybody? No. Because that grieves the Holy Spirit. Should, should I just be thinking horrible thoughts and saying terrible things about people and tearing people down, verbally abusing them and gossiping and, and slandering? Should I just not worry about how my words affect people? No, because that grieves the Holy Spirit. Should, should I just go about my life just ignoring the needs of my, my church family, the, the brothers and sisters in Christ, that even though I've got the ability to serve them and help them and bless them, should I just go about just taking from them and not giving anything back? No. That grieves the Holy Spirit. The commands that are going to follow, their sexual immorality, should I just not care about sex? Just do with it what I want and not, not, not care what God had intended it for? Should I not care about my role as a husband or a father or for, for uh, the women, the, the wives or, a, or, or mothers? Should, should I just not care what God intended? No. That grieves the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the truth that we don't often think about. I, I believe we don't often think about it. In every place we are, in all the things we do, at all moments and times of the day, you are covered up and dwelt over and in by the Holy Spirit. He's with you right now. He's with you. 
when you're at home. He's with you while you're at work. He's with you when you're in your car. He's with you when you're sitting in a restaurant. He's with you when you're in the bathroom. He's with you when you think no one's looking. He's with you. See, the idea is, he tells us, Paul tells us here, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with Him. And, and in a sense, that the, the word means, it, it, it signifies sealing a letter, like closing it up. Protecting the contents. But we don't seal letters in this way anymore. I mean, we have, well, typically, I don't even know if many of us mail things anymore. We, you know, you used to lick it, stick it, stick it in a mailbox, and, and on it went. I don't know that we do that very much anymore, so, so we're even a little farther away from that. But the idea, you've probably seen it in a movie or a television show where they take wax and they drip it on the seam of a letter and then they stamp something into it, and that stamp seals it. So the, the contents of that letter is protected. The contents of that letter is held certain. And, and so when a person receives a letter and that wax seal was broken, they understood it had been compromised. The Holy Spirit seals you when, until when? The day of redemption. There's, there's going to be no broken seal here. The letter of your life. The words God has spoken about you. Those things are going to be true because the Spirit seals them. There will be no undoing them. There will be no getting in and changing them. There will be no undoing them. You are saved because He sealed you. That requires a constant presence. But it's not just the protection of the contents of the letter. There's a sense of authority. There's a sense of authenticity that goes with it. You see, if I were to type up, if I were to go home, type up something on my computer, bring it in, just, hey, look, I got a letter from the president. That may not be that impressive, right? I mean, I could try to make it look good. I could go on, I could go on, Google and get a copy of the presidential seal and stick it on there. But it's not really going to look like a letter that came from the president, more than likely. But if I came to you with an embossed letter, a letter that had this seal embossed in it, with a signature on it, you may not, you still may not be impressed, but you would recognize that it was authentic. It was real. You see, when a person received a letter, they didn't have to open it to know who it was from. Typically, these marks, these seals, they signified, because of the impression in the wax, they signified who they belonged to, who the words came from. They were authentic. They were certain. And because He has sealed you, it doesn't matter what others say about you. It doesn't matter what others' opinions of are you. But that requires constant presence. It requires us to recognize that He is with us always. So the unbelief in our heart, He knows it. Don't act like you don't have it. We all got it. It's probably better if we were to, to just confess and just admit the fact that we're like that father who wanted his child healed. Jesus, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Certainly, brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't doubt you trust Jesus. But I don't doubt you have unbelief. You know who knows it? The Holy Spirit. The thoughts we have about others. The things, those, those malicious, spiteful, unloving thoughts. You know who hears them? 
The Holy Spirit of God hears them. You know, when you're sitting at home alone, spouse is gone, nobody's there but you. You begin to think and act and possibly do things that are absolutely detestable to Him. You know who sees them? The Holy Spirit of God sees them. You see, here's the reality. He is always with us. He is the he he indwells in us. And when we walk into sin, we essentially are asking God to join us in it. You ever thought about that? I'm not asking I'm not saying that we're asking God to sin with us. I'm saying because he indwells us, because he is on us. When we step into some Thing that opposes His nature. We're asking Him to be there with us. We're asking Him to give Himself. We're not, we're not saying it out loud. We're not thinking it consciously. But He's there. He's with you. When you, little old you, decide to do something that opposes Him, God, I don't care what you're like. I'm going to do this. Guess you're just going to have to deal with it. I think that grieves him. Makes him sad. Makes him hurt. I'm responsible for that. You're responsible for that. Paul says no more. No more. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. He has sealed you. He has always, He is always with you. Act like it. Practice His presence. Consciously determine as you, as you step into something that you know is op- in opposition to Him, as you step into something that's in opposition to these commands that Paul's given us, as you strive to act, as you work to act in ways that you know grieve Him, remember. Train yourself to remember. He's with you. He's in you. And you can't taint Him. You can't can't ruin Him. But you can certainly cause Him to withdraw from you. See, much of the time, much of the time, the reason we don't experience the joy, the peace, the love, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not because the Spirit's failing, but because we are. We're not walking in the light. We're not living as He's called us to. We're not living in His design. We're not living up to His expectation. We're not doing the things that He expects of His people. We're walking the way we want. Instead of the way he's called us to. You see, this, this first piece, this first person, or this third person of the Holy Spirit comes first. He's here with us, he's on us, he's in us. And we must now strive to live like that's true. He's present with us at all times and, and in all places. Our sin grieves him. And we've been called to go and sin no more, to grieve him no more. 
See, in order not to grieve the Holy Spirit, in order not to do this, in order to to live differently or to, to do something different, Christians must strive to live in accordance with our new nature at all times and all places. I want you to understand, I'm not asking you to be somebody you're not. I'm not asking you to be something that's impossible for you to be. I'm not asking you to measure up to some set, set, some set of rules that you can't possibly measure up to. I'm not asking you to do something that is impossible for you to do. We have been made new. That's Paul's whole point with telling us to put off the old and put on the new. In this renewal process that he's working out in us, we are to now exercise that new nature at all times and in all places. So we must strive to live in a manner worthy of our calling. That's Ephesians 4.1. We must Put off the old. Put on the, the things that belong to the old life. Put on the new. That, that, the, that which is created, he says in verse 24, that which is created in the likeness of God, truly righteous and truly holy. That's what he tells us. That's our call. That's the expectation. Why would you want to? Why would you want to do that? Because every time you don't, you're grieving God. That's a pretty good motive. If I, if, if I, I, I think. Would you want to hurt somebody you love? Would you not take into consideration someone that is important to you? I think it's just natural for us. If we love God, this is something that I think we should want to do. The second thing He gives us, the second encouragement I think that that moves us or motivates us towards living and walking in the way we've been called to is that Jesus Jesus gave it to it for gave it to us first. Jesus gave it to you first. Now he expects us to give to others what he gave to us. Now I'm going to put three verses up there. They're not necessarily uh in in order. Verse 31, 32 and chapter 5 verse 2 and he gives us a contrasting thought. He gives us the, these these ideas that really uh, they don't they don't go together at all. He says, set aside bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Be put it away. Just be done with it. Those are all negative, hurtful attitudes towards others. He says, set it aside. There's no room for that in the life of a Christian. He says, be done with it. Instead, he says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. And he puts a little, a little explanation on that forgiving. Just the same way you've been forgiven, you should be forgiving. And he says, love others like Jesus has loved you. I think it's pretty obvious what Paul wants here. You get it? You see it? There's two totally different ways to go about life, right? Two totally different things that we can do. Two totally different attitudes about others. Two totally different aspects of how we act and the motives that move us to action. Two totally different things. They, they, they can't go together. You can't, you can't love somebody and hate somebody. Well, let me, let me step back. You can love somebody and hate somebody at the same time. You can love them actively and hate them emotionally, but, but, but be careful. Be careful. Because here's the reality of it. I don't think there's a one of us in here that will do that. How many of you, when you're angry, think, I'm going to do the best thing for this person? How many of you, when you feel malice in your heart towards somebody, think, I'm going to sacrifice and give something up of myself for them. God loves and He hates, but we're not God. 
are we? See, the reality is, is that I don't, I, I don't know that that's possible for us to really do. But it happens time and time again. Not just out in the world, not, not just in the places that are distant from us, but right here. Not in this building, but among our people. Just think about the last time you were hurt. Think about the last time somebody maybe in this room hurt you. Or somebody in your church family hurt you. What, did it, what, what happened because of that? What happened when, when you were feeling offended by that person? I think all too often, we withdraw. We disconnect. We pull away. And rather than thinking about what's best for them, we may not hope that bad happens to them, but we don't work for their good. And really, those two things are one and the same. If we're not striving for one another's best interest, then we might as well just be giving people over to what hurts them and harms them. Paul says, be kind. Don't be, don't be full of malice. Don't be full of strife and, and hatred and anger and wrath. And when you act towards people, don't, don't bring them their worst. Don't tear them down. Don't beat them up. Don't make them miserable. Be kind. Really, what that means is to be profitable to somebody. To make somebody's life better. To give somebody something they need. To, to be a, a difference, a beneficial difference in someone's life. Let me just ask you a question. Whose life is better because you're in it? Is there somebody whose life is better because you're in it? I hope you can think that. I, I, I hope you can recognize that. I think, I think all too often we're ready to say, I want people to be profitable to me. I think people should be profitable to me. But we miss the piece that says that we should be profitable to them. You see, to be kind, it, it requires us to remove our perspective, remove our desires for self, to remove our, our wants and longings for ourselves. And to begin to consider the needs of others, to consider what other people like, to consider what make other people happy, to consider what makes other people comfortable, to, make, to consider what other people have in mind. We have to begin to consider other people's interests. I think it's really easy for us to come into church and we come into to a place where we expect people to be kind and we want them to be kind to us. We need one another to be kind to, to, to us. But I think too often, all too often, we forget that this is not a command to everybody else. This is an expectation for me. It's an expectation for you. He says, be kind. Be profitable to other people. Their lives should be better because you are in it. Can you name somebody? I would encourage this. Today when we're done, I want you to take time and I want you to find somebody and tell them your life is better because they're in it. 
I don't want you going and asking people, is my life better? Because when you do that, you're going to put them on the spot there. They're probably not going to speak the truth in love. They're going to lie. But I want you to ask. Or I want you to go and say it to somebody. And if you're done, if you leave here today and spend some time standing around talking, you leave here today and somebody hasn't told you that, you need to do some serious introspection. I tell you this because I love you. Not because I want to make you feel bad about yourself. Not because I think that there aren't people who are striving for it. I just want us to look like Jesus. Because when we look like Jesus, it doesn't matter what people say about us. It'll make a difference. He doesn't say just be kind. He says to be, how does he say it? He says, tender-hearted. So the suffering of others shouldn't roll off our backs like water off a duck's back. It just shouldn't happen. If we can go, if we can look around, I mean, you just consider, just consider what's, what's just happened recently in our city with hailing. Horrific event. And if you can look at that, and there's not a sense of compassion in your heart, there should be a red flag to you. If you look at that man who did an evil thing and all you want is his demise, be careful. Be careful. Not even the Father takes joy in condemning the sinful. There should be some level of compassion. Certainly we wouldn't condone what was done. Certainly we wouldn't take His side. Certainly we wouldn't ask the system to ignore it. Certainly we would expect our judicial system to do what it's there to do. But to just simply want to see Him burn. That's hate, brothers and sisters. There's no room for that in us. We should be broken for things like this. When we see a brother and a sister especially caught in sin, if we can turn our backs on them and do nothing, there should be great concern. He says, be forgiving. Be forgiving of others. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is you releasing others of the offenses they've given you. How many times have I hurt somebody's feelings in here? I, I, I'm sure it's happened. I know it's happened because I've had some conversations with some of you. But the reality is that that goes both ways. But you know, the only people being offended by one another is not me and you. It's you and me. I know it happens. I hear about it. I get to listen to people talk about it. Here's my encouragement in all of these cases. What have you been forgiven of? What did Jesus have to take and hold on to so that you can walk in relationship with Him? So that He could be kind to you. So that He can demonstrate compassion to you. So that He could save you. What kind of wrongs have you done to Him? Oh, we don't like that, do we? That's how we're supposed to act towards one another. You see, I think on the one hand, on the one hand, forgiveness is a part of an equation. It's a part of a reconciliation equation. Forgiveness plus repentance equals reconciliation. 
When a person recognizes that they've wronged another person and they own it and they say, I'm sorry, and it's not just words, but they demonstrate it with their life, I wish I hadn't done that, I apologize. And the other person says, you know what? I forgive you. I release you. A a relationship is reconciled. It brings us together. It it reunites us. The hostility is removed and and reconciliation occurs and now we're united again. We're together again. But see, I, I don't think that the call of this forgiveness is that we're supposed to just be sitting around. Well, I'll get ready to forgive forgive you when you figure out what you did to me. See, I think the intention, the attitude is that we're to be carrying forgiveness around in our hearts ready to dole out. We should be able to walk around with an, with an attitude of, man, that hurt, but I forgive you. We should be able to walk around and, 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 and sometimes not even necessarily require that that person recognize what they did wrong and just recognize I can hold it, I can deal with it, I can let it go, and we can walk in unison. I want to be careful. I want you to be careful here. This is strictly applied within the body of Christ. There's going to be difficulty and things that separate us from outside, outside the body all the time. But in the body of Christ, within the one another, so with, within the people of God, this should be an attitude that marks us. Listen, for, forgiveness may be given and, and it may be received freely, but it is never given without a cost. It requires you to take the wrong and you hold it. You deal with it. You suck it up and you, you just own it. And when you react, you be kind. And you be compassionate. And when you struggle with that, you just remember what Jesus forgave you of. That's a high calling. He doesn't just say, be kind and be compassionate and be forgiving. He goes one step further. He says, love others like Jesus loved you. And I was the fool that put Ephesians 5, uh, 21 into my vows. And I told my wife, I'm going to love you like Christ loved the church. You know how many days I've met that one? Not many. I want to. I long for it. But quite honestly, I'm oftentimes a selfish, thoughtless jerk. He says to us, he, he says to us, love others like Jesus has loved you. How do we know what love is? First John three sixteen, we know what love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Sacrificial. Sacrificial. He gave himself up. Are you suffering because of somebody else? Are you giving yourself up and your greatest desires for somebody else? Is there a person you know? Is there a person in this room that's more important to you than life itself? It's not just sacrificial, it's beneficial. You see, as you begin to sacrifice, you're not just sacrificing, oh, willy-nilly, I'm just going to give myself up. I don't care what it means to the other person. I'm going to give myself up. Are they benefiting from it? Is this in their best interest? Sometimes that looks like what they need and not what they want. Sometimes we don't know what we need. 
See, sometimes we need to be loved in such a way that that feels different than what we'd expect love to be. But we need to be given what we need. Do you love someone? Do you Is someone so important to you that you would give yourself up to ensure they had what they needed? I hope there is. It's not just sacrificial and beneficial. And it is active. You can't just sit around and think about this stuff. You can't just sit and think, oh, well, I really, I really appreciate them and I really hope the best for them. This comes with action. Jesus didn't love us by sitting up in heaven and thinking good thoughts about us. Jesus loved us by taking on a new nature, humbling Himself, taking on the form of a servant, and making Himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. Those are all verbs. Those are all active. You see, don't don't come and say, I love this person, I love this person, and always be doing things that are harmful to them. That's not love. Love is you doing something sacrificial. It costs you and it benefits them. Is there somebody that you can point to that you can think of? I can tell you you're being loved. You're being loved right now. You know why I'm standing here preaching this message to you? It's not because I'm getting rich. I'll tell you. It's because I love you. I'm telling you, I love you. You, church, family, mean the world to me. I hope that I'm not the only one in this room that's loving you. I hope that you can think of the people in this room that have your absolute best interest in mind. You know the beauty of it all? When this is all done together, all of a sudden, we, we can take our eyes off ourselves. And God's people meet our needs as we meet others' needs. You see how this works? You see how it all comes together? As He calls us to this, it's not just you just giving it all away. It's you being blessed by Him through His people. See, I hope you're loving and being loved. I hope you're forgiving and being forgiven. I hope you're being kind and being receiving kindness. And I hope you're being compassionate and recognizing others' compassion. I hope that's happening. But hear it again. He is not asking you to do this out of a power of your own. He is saying, Jesus has loved you, now love others. Jesus has forgiven you, now forgive. Jesus has been kind to you, you be kind. Jesus has been compassionate with you, now you be compassionate. Draw from what God has given you. Draw from what Jesus has blessed you with. And I can guarantee you, you will never run out of this blessing. You will never be able to give it all away. But you're going to recognize the fullest as you strive to. I dare you try to give all of Jesus' love away and you will only find that His love goes further. I dare you try to give all of His forgiveness away. I triple dog dare you give all of His forgiveness away and I guarantee you you will only find the fullness of His forgiveness in the instance of that. I dare you to be as kind as Jesus did. I dare you. You will never run out of His kindness. Never, ever, ever will you come to the end of these blessings. 
that we don't have to do this by ourselves. We do it because He's done it for us. And finally, I know you're thinking, oh, he just said finally. Golly, we're not, it's not long. My buzzer's going off up here. God is your Father. This is that third piece that I want you to hear out of this, this passage. It's in, it's in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. God is your Father. Imitation is the sincerest form of worship. Two of the most, two of my favorite moments as a father, two of, two of the, the absolute best moments of being a father. I, I was at the hangar. I used to work out at Worldwide at, at uh, an aviation repair facility. As, as I was there, Cameron was with me and, and we were working on something and this man George was there and George is a good godly man and he was talking to Cameron. I'm not even sure if Cameron remembers this. Um, George says something to him and I don't even remember what his comment was that pre- precipitated this. Cameron says, when I grow up, I want to be an aircraft mechanic just like my dad. It's like, wow. I didn't know that I could be that warm and fuzzy inside. You know, it's just not like me. It felt so good, you know. I, I recognized his love and respect. It meant so much. <laughs> this with this with his uh, Tristan. We were putting him to bed one night, just a couple weeks ago, tucking him in, <laughs> kissing him goodnight. I'm just kidding. It was, it was a few years back, just to be honest. Tristan was, he had a loft bed, so we tucked him in, we kissed him goodnight, told him we loved him. And he said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. Just like that, my heart just swelled. How precious was that? And I followed it up with all except for the bald spot. So, now we're even, brother. Son, finally got me back. Now I'm just kidding. The, the reality is, man, this moment when I recognized the role model, the, the, the weight and responsibility I was carrying and, and the recognition of that, and they were seeing it and they were recognizing that what I was trying to do for them was good. And even though sometimes it was difficult, it was good. And that they wanted to be a man like me, it moved me. It honored me. Now I'll tell you that the only reason that these things happened, I'm, I'm certain the only reason these things happened is because God had done a work in my life. So I give Him the glory for that. See, I was striving to imitate Him. Now, if it meant a lot for my sons to look at me and say, I want to be like you. What do you think it means when you don't just think it, but you begin to enact it? You begin to imitate your Father in heaven. Why would we do these things? Why would we give up so much? Why would we want to? You've heard it said, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I think it's also the sincerest and most and the highest form of worship that we can add, that we can give to our Father who is in heaven. You see, it moves our worship from our songs and our service in this room. We're expected to do it here, right? I mean, if, 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 if you're not out there and engaging in worship at some level, what are people around you going to think? If you're not serving others, 
Well, what are people around you going to think? But when we take the imitation of our Father and we put it into practice in every aspect of our lives, just consider how much honor and adoration and love and respect that demonstrates to Him. Imitate God as beloved children. Don't miss that piece. You see, He loves you dearly. I stood here and I felt emotional as I said to you, I love you. Let me tell you with a greater sense of urgency, He loves you. He does. Why? Why would we want to do anything except honor Him? You see, that's the whole idea of this. But, but let me go just one step, just real quickly, one step past His worship and adoration. I want you to see the mission of God at work in this passage. You see, when Adam and Eve, they ate that fruit, they broke a relationship and they marred an image of God. He said, I am going to create them, male and female, in my image, in our image, I'm going to create them. They are going to be image bearers. They are going to reflect me. That when, 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 the, when the creation around them sees them, they should be able to see me. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they marred it. They ruined it. But in Christ, but in Jesus Christ, God is making all things new. See, in Christ, His, He is restoring His image in His people. And therefore, now our lives should reflect His nature and glory. You see, it's not just about what God's doing. It certainly is about what God's doing. Don't, don't hear me saying it's not. But what God is doing and what He continues to do in His people is now our responsibility to put into practice. Imitating Him. Loving, forgiving, being kind and compassionate just like Jesus and not grieving the Holy Spirit. Christians, if, you, if, you, if you're sitting here in this room today, don't, don't forget my challenge to you. Tell somebody that their life is better because of you. Because those of us that don't hear it, we need to do some serious introspection. But I hope you're not just challenged by these words. I hope you're motivated. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you want to stand up and fight the fight. I hope that you want to walk in this way. I hope that you see the importance and the power and the privilege that it is to carry His image, to reflect it to the world around us. But if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, I hope you're not hearing me calling you to measure up to some set of standards. Because any person that believes in Jesus in this room will tell you we're not able to do these things by our own power. What I hope you hear, what I hope you hear is how much the Father has loved us, that He sent His Son to save us. And He is empowering His people to provide for us. And our sin, it grieves Him but He wants to forgive you. He says, come to Me and believe. Trust in 
me believe in the sacrifice of my Son on the cross. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, that is the call for you today. That's the message of this, this passage for you. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask that you ask God to just convict you, encourage you, or open your eyes to the truth that you need to believe in Him so that these things can be true about you. Dear Father, we do thank You for Your goodness and for Your grace. We thank You so much for doing it for us first, for coming to us in power, for coming to us in compassion and kindness, for coming to us with forgiveness and sacrificial, beneficial, active love, for coming to us in Christ that we might not stand and walk in this way. That we might imitate You. That we might show the world a living, breathing example of who you are and what you're about doing and how you're restoring things and making things new. God, would you work that out in us? Would you encourage us to no longer grieve your spirit, but to walk in purity and to give others all that you've given us? Father, if there's one here today, if there's some here today who are hearing this and have never trusted in You, I pray, God, I pray that You'd open the eyes of their heart, that You would let them see, that You'd let them hear Your truth. Our sin grieves You, God. We know it. We repent. Would you help them to trust in your son, his sacrifice on the cross? It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.